Hello and welcome to the Majlis podcast, Radio Free of Freedom Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Mohammed Tahir, host of the Majlis and Radio Free of Freedom Liberty's media manager here in Washington, D.C. Ten states have returned to Tajikistan's restive, autonomous Gurno-Badakhshan region. The latest round of tensions sparked over the weekend after a heavy-hand response by the security forces against protesters demanding the resignation of regional authorities over the lack of investigation into the 20 2021 killing of a local activist in police custody. Telecommunication has been immediately cut off and uh, access to this remote region has been difficult and restricted. On the top of that, authorities are also trying to censor any information about the uh, region and this tension, including by harassing local journalists of international organizations. Therefore, we do not have a reliable flow of updated news and analysis as to what's going on in the region as we speak. But uh, what became clear is that the latest tension has been the deadliest in recent months and years. In this episode of the Majlis podcast, we have invited the panel of experts whom we believe are the most qualified speakers in this issue, and we will try to assess what's going on as we speak, what happened, and what might come next. And in the long term, what does the growing militarization of this tension tell us about the direction of this tension in months and years ahead, and what can be done about it? To discuss all this, I'm joined by Bakhtiyor Safarov, the director of Central Asia Consulting, who is originally from Tajikistan's autonomous Badakhshan region, Salim Jan Ayubov, the director of Radio Free Liberty's Tajik service, locally known as Radio Azadi, who is also from Tajikistan, and Bruce Panier, long-term Central Asia specialist and the author of Radio Free Liberty's Central Asia in Focus newsletter. Thank you, colleagues, for joining us in this important conversation. So I know we are taping this uh, podcast on Thursday at... 10 p.m. local time. Events will change by the time the podcast will hit the internet, but let's start with what we know so far. Bakhtiyor, let me start with you. So what is going on? What your uh, source are telling you, what you are hearing from your own relatives, your friends in the region? Thank you very much, Mohammed. Thank you very much, panelists. And I want to thank you for your interest. And I want to greet your listeners as well. And I am one of them. Uh, I can go to sleep at uh, Saturday nights before not listening to, to your podcast. So thank you very much for, for doing that. So in, in terms of the situation in uh, in Khorov and in Gabal, what we're witnessing, this is a continuation of what started a long time ago, to be exact, around 1992. So since then, the people of Badashan has been executed. As you know, we had a, we had a documents of almost a genocide, and we were just part of the most of the Badakhshani people were part of the democratic movements that they started in the early 19s and most of them are still committed like my father was a part of the democratic party movement so and he's been you know one of the pro independent uh, movement uh, participant he was a doctor graduate from Ukraine so he was one of those guys that was really independent and very secular person to begin with and then in 1992 we were blamed with you know that these are like terrorists 
terrorists and like, you know, with this narrative, we got pushed out, a lot of people, along with other Tajik people who were part of the democratic movements, they were killed or either jailed, and it's been going on since then. So I would describe this as a continuation of repression of freedom of speech, freedom of movement, and any freedoms you can ever imagine. And the last one, just the one, the recent one started in, in May 14th. I came to my office, opened the internet, and I saw the ad saying there's going to be a big gathering in Horo. Oh, I thought, oh, it's just recent gathering. And I remembered that's in Tajikistan. So I said, well, that's not going to end else. So I took a break, sit a little bit, and I said, I have to do something. So then I posted on Twitter and I got a lot of retweets and likes. And I knew at that time that's not only me concerns, a lot of people are concerned about this. And after that, you know, the people, May 16th, they, they had some, you know, concerns. They don't want to share. They want to proceed to the center square, small Somoni Square in Koro. But they got stopped in the way to go into to square. Hmm. Even one person got killed. So it's Zamir Nazar Shoev. I was just talking to his neighbor. He just literally grew up and he's in front. He was just walking. We don't know even he was going to the protest. He was just walking on the road and they just sniper hits them. I don't know if it's sniper. It needs to be investigated. But the guy, apparently, he was just bystander at this point. That's mm. what I heard from. So he gets killed. So instead of investigating the whole situation, as any other governments do, they just pull and trigger the, the crisis more. Mm. So for this, unarmed people, I just think it's a very covert act. Mm. They send more people. They ask for more help from Tajikistan, which angers the people in Rushon and other part of the Gabao. And uh, they start just blocking the, the road because they are afraid of for the faith of other people. And they waited on May 17th uh, overnight, the military convoy at one of the border guards in Rushon. And in the morning, early in the morning, I was, was like 12 o'clock DC time. And I, I saw that they started this operation. They just started shooting people deliberately. They used at least two, two helicopters. Yeah. Snipers were shooting from the helicopters. Mm -hmm. And it's literally, now people will get reports, it's really turning into Bucha of Tajikistan. Mm -hmm. It's not only that, they were wounded people laying on the ground. They didn't let people to go and take them to the hospital for the to treat the wounds. Hmm. So this, some of the people just died on the streets. Hmm. Thank you very much for your, all the historical background you also presented on this, uh, about the source of this issue and connecting it nicely to what has been happening over the past few days. And obviously we are going to talk about this tension and on the historical background definitely. But before that, Salim John joined it because we lack reliable information as to what is going on in this region. And given the region is remote, internet is cut off and then you know lots of concern about what is really going on what you are hearing Salim John from your own reporters in sources in the region and I know your reporters have been harassed just because they are trying to report about this issue so tell us please about what is your update what's the latest you know about this Thank you, Mohammed. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, you described the current situation very well. So I can share uh, the most recent information that uh, my brave colleagues uh, have obtained and compiled uh, bit by bit uh, mm -hmm. from many sources, double-checked every information and verified and clarified. Mm -hmm. So uh, here is the latest news today. Mm -hmm. 
the population of the Russian region mm. of, of Gbao mm. was allowed to pick up the corpses of those who were killed yesterday during either clashes or, as Bakhtiar mentioned, simple killings of the people who tried to close the main road between Dushanbe and Khorug. The uh, Russian district is in between of Dushanbe and Khorug. In terms of entering Khorug, you should go through Rushan region and Vomar and other villages. So the main road and the only road. So the residents of Rushan tried to block the road, not allowing new forces, new armed, new militaries to enter to the region. So at the beginning, it was, let's say, peacefully, but then we do not know so far who started. The, the officials, some of, of officials are saying that the, the those people who blocked the road were mm -hmm. armed, mm -hmm. but many witnesses among uh, locals are, are denying that. However, so yesterday there was clashes between two sides. But today, yeah, today in general, the population received 21 corpses. 21 corpses. This information is verified from many sources, mm. witnesses and relatives. Mm. And today was a funeral day for the people of uh, Vomar. Mm. And um, as several witnesses and relatives of the victims told us that uh, some of the victims had marks of torture mm. uh, on their bodies and uh, several corpses were thrown out at the stadium of the Derzud village and all of them were nude without dresses. Mm -hmm. So that's the total death toll since the start of the latest protests uh, is up S to S 30. Uh, but there are uh, the cases that we have not been able to verify and uh, probably the number of deaths is higher mm. than 30 but we are sure about those 30 but again it's hard to check and mm. officials mm. are stick uh, to nine mm. killed uh, and 24 and, wounded yeah. But today they stated the same, mm. but the only change in the numbers is of the Chinese. Mm. Now uh, authorities, the authorities are saying that uh, 114 uh, local residents mm. of Gbao are in custody, mm. while they stated yesterday the number was 70. So today, May 19, uh, was a quiet day, mm. uh, as I said, a funeral mm. day, and morning day... Uh, and uh, there was no shooting, mm. although um, helicopters uh, circled in the sky of the region. Mm -hmm. And the relative stability was also noted today by the Deputy Minister of Internal Affairs of Tajikistan, Abdurrahman Alam Shozoda, mm. who is in, in the region now. Mm. And he spoke at the meeting of local activists in Khorug. Mm. And the, the meeting was attended mostly by government officials mm. and said that the local leader Leader, Mamad Bokhir, Mamad Bokhirov and his supporters mm. should surrender to the authorities mm. and if they do this the punishment will be lighter or mm. smaller as he put and he accused him and others uh, as he said of organized crime groups mm. 
of defiance and destabilization of the situation in the region. It is believed that these groups under the leadership of Mahmoud Bourkir, uh, who galvanizing the situation in the region. Mm-hmm. But we know that the only thing that they demand uh, resignation of the uh, local leaders and the full investigation into the death of Golbidin Ziobekov, who was killed during an arrest attempt uh, on November 25 last year. Last year, yeah. Selim Jank, I know there there is a lot to talk about, and also you already provided us lots of information that I wanted to unpack some of them. So we are saying now uh, confirmed reports of casualties stands on 30. So what do we know, Selim John, in terms of the circumstances of the Dead. You said that there were, you know, signs of torture in their bodies. But how to visualize how those guys got killed? According to the official version, mm. uh, a group of uh, 200 armed people attacked uh, the government forces. And uh, and today, uh, just some some minutes ago, the uh, state uh, news agency Hovar published uh, another statement provided by security forces and telling that uh, they confiscated a lot of uh, weapons. However, yesterday they were talking about weapons, but not in in detail, just mm. saying that uh, Molotov cocktail. Mm. So we in the Tajik service and our uh, experts and some sources in Dushanbe imagining that that so several new forces or on, on military cars. Just imagine that those cars full of soldiers and moving towards Khoruk. Mm. And uh, of course, people in, in Rushon decided to, to block the road. Mm. And actually, the deputy interior ministry today said the road is still blocked. We don't know is, if it's true or not. Yeah. But and we heard from a soldier mm. who was wounded in this situation and transported to Kulob. And he is uh, right now he's in Dushanbe Military mm. Hospital, mm. but yesterday he was in Kulob mm. uh, Central Hospital. Mm. And he told our journalists that it was a real clash between those who blocked the road and, and military forces. And they had no way just to call new forces to support. And the support came from the sky. So several helicopters came to the to the scene and started shooting from helicopters, shooting the people who were blocking the road. Mm. So again, it's hard, it's yeah. difficult. We did we did not publish this piece of information because we are still working on it, and we wanted to reconstruct the uh, uh, timeline of the events and how it ha- right. happened. And right. so, and right. about those who uh, marked by torture signs, mm. Mm. Uh, the locals are telling us that when it started yesterday at 7 morning and close to to the midday people dispersed probably because there was a lot of shooting mm. and some bodies as Bakhtir also mentioned and compared it to Bucha some corpses laid down on, on the road and then uh, militaries entered house by house search mm. and mm. tried to, to find out those who either protested or 
either used arm against the, the government forces. Mm. And uh, they rounded up a lot of young men and brought them to, to mm. the local border mm. outpost. And then today, the officials allowed the local residents to collect uh, bodies mm. who laid mm. on the streets. And also they told them, go to the Dirzut Stadium and you will find some more corpses wow. there. Wow. You know? Even listening to these horrific stories are so painful. Yeah, authorities on one hand saying that, you know, there was a clash. I don't even know how to imagine this clash. You know, we keep saying clash. I mean, what kind of clash we are talking really about? You know, government, obviously, they have helicopters, guns and tanks and all these equipments. You know, what are the means through which the local uh, protesters have been reacting to that? And if there was a clash, you know, it looks like all of those 30 people that we are talking about are the ones who are killed are protesters, not soldiers. If there were clash, how to explain the situations? It is. It is. Uh, you know, just one one point hmm. that eight members of military is wounded and one officer killed during mm. this uh, mm. event mm. and we know the name of the officer and mm. we know from which part of the country he mm. was and yesterday it was his uh, funeral mm. and we also um, our journalists talked to those who wounded mm. at least to two of them mm. the second one denied everything and just rejected to talk to us mm. uh, so it's maybe it's possible that some of the protesters were armed. We don't know, you know, uh, and maybe it was a kind of provocation by militaries themselves mm. to kill and to, to wound some people. Mm. But mm. compared, as you, as you said, if 21 of the local residents killed and one uh, military officer and killed and eight of them wounded so of course the numbers are telling us that so it was not full-scale clash but yeah. it was something else you know so bruce also obviously as a journalist standing on the neutral ground here trying to reflect all the accounts that are coming out of this tension so authorities were also kind of hinting foreign hand in this tension. You know, we know we have to take these kind of information with lots of grain and salt. So what's your take on that? And also given the way this round of tension turned violent, does it make sense? The foreign fighters, I doubt it. I mean, I seriously doubt it. Kazakhstan, I remember just a few months ago, had problems. The same same thing. Those foreign fighters. That's I, that's I, like I, the. I, I don't know whether the, whether whether the, what was the exact word, like foreign fighters or foreign hand. What was that? I don't like to misinterpret anything. Salim Jan, what was the exact wording here? The exact wording was all those events in Horo mm. uh, were orchestrated by foreign organizations and uh, foreign uh, leaders or something like this, you know. It was not about the participation of foreigners mm-hmm, so far, mm-hmm. but I am afraid it will be. Very soon we will hear that there were at least uh, Afghans or others. Again, based on unpublished information, mm. I do not want to, to disclose it may, because maybe it's not true, but the government mm. is preparing narrative narrative and narration that there was Afghans among those uh, Pamiri people and they uh, killed the Tajik militaries or something Mm. like this. Yeah, usually, you know, we have seen Tajik authorities' narratives in the past. Yeah, but they named named some leaders of the National Alliance, Alim Sherzamonov and Olfat Khonum Mamad Shoeva. They mean that through those people, 
Mama Shoevi is a civil activist, and mm. they they mean that some foreign organizations and some members of the oppositions mm. that you know the oppositions based in Europe called in in uh. Tajikistan terrorist and extremist mm. uh, organization. Ah, uh, okay, okay, yeah, in that way. Mm-hmm. So, Bruce, uh, I think you know the direction of question little changed after Selim John's explanation here. So, the way this event turned up so deadly, how you explain this? Well, you know, as we've heard, this this region has, um, unfortunately, kind of a, a history of, of tensions for the last 30 years, and certainly for the last 15, and there's been a lot of problems going up there. And so, like John mentioned, that this this really kind of started with Gobodin uh, Ziobekov being killed yeah. last November. And I would mention at this point that they changed the leader of Gornobalikshan right before that, that happened. And, and really, he seemed to have kept a lid on it for a while. I, I don't know how much I can give him credit for having Yadgar um, Faiz, for keeping things calm, but it, but it is interesting that after he left, all of a sudden all these problems started, and the you know Ziabekov was killed. So already you got the tensions building, and, and you know they cut off the internet back then. We knew there was protests in November. You know the security forces have been there all the time, and I imagine they've they've even added some people to there. So the people were already kind of on edge, and now they're now they're going after you know locals, not only the ones that are in Gornobadashan, but as Salim John could tell you, there's a couple of uh, natives of Gornobadashan that were in Russia, and they just posted information in support of the people. People out there in Russia grabbed them and sent them back to Tajikistan, and they were quickly put on trial and convicted and sentenced. They they formed a group called Group 44 that was supposed to re- negotiate all this. With half of it was from local people, half of it was from the government, if I remember right. And um, they were supposed to come to some kind of agreement on how this is going to work, and that that group just faded away. So this has just been kind of building and building. You know, the people in uh, up in that area realized that anytime the government is sending forces like they were along this road, it's bad news for them. And always right before, not surprisingly. The violence is preceded by the government building up security forces and sending new security forces to the area. You know, they, they've known for months that they wanted to arrest some of these informal local leaders, mm-hmm. um, and they've managed to fend off the authorities. Mm-hmm. And, and so this was really just, sadly, something that was almost bound to happen. And, and really, I kind of blame the government for this. They provoked the people and did everything they could to keep mm-hmm. tensions high in the region and don't seem to have done very much at all to try to come to some kind of compromises with the people so that this what's happening right now did not happen. Hmm. You know, earlier we were talking about, Selimjan was talking about, in fact, today it seems to be that the things are calm, at least in the, in the context of like shootings are not anymore happening, but people are collecting dead bodies. And then also there was a hint that, you know, authorities are doing house to house search. I mean, maybe we are not hearing the sounds of firing, but even if we can call this calm, it's a bad calm. Bakhtiar, you have relatives on the ground. What is the local feeling today as they are collecting their dead bodies? Like, you know, I have friends from Womar. I've been to Womar. I have a lot of friends actually mm. from Womar. But my, I myself am from Vanj district, which is nearby the Womar. So mm. we have a very close relationship mm. with the people. It's a very nice and very friendly because they're along the road. So when we were, when I was a student, I was there was no car. So mm. we were just going to any house, sleep overnight and mm. go back 
to uh, our district. So it's mm. just phenomenal people. It just, that's why my heart breaks without these people. Unfortunately, we don't have any connection with them. There is no, as, as I said, there is, this is the information that we get from friends that I was just talking to one of my friends who is also, you know, happened to be, uh, his, his wife is actually can't even, she's right now here in DC, gonna go and see them in a few, few minutes. She can't even talk. Some of them were their relatives. This is very alarming because the people of, you know, Rushan, you know, all Banj and uh, Shuknan are very peaceful people. I mean, and, and now I see a lot of frustration. Mm. I even see the comments. The guy just posed that, you know, she's going to go and fight and then take, take up the arm. It's very alarming. Yeah. I don't think this this time is going to go well. So I think it's the frustration. It's at the highest level. And uh, I predict that the conflict is going to be prolonged mm. and the government just open the Pandora box at this point. Mm-hmm. So it, we were we are talking about the, the epicenter of this was the, where it was started was Khorog, right? They, they started in May 14th. Yeah. There is a Khorog is a capital. Mm-hmm. The Borhorog is uh, is a couple of kilometers away from Khorog. That's mm-hmm. where the, the Mamad Bokhir, Mamad Bokhirov, that's mm-hmm. the last stronghold. Mm-hmm. There used to be a couple of strongholds around the Khorog. There used to be Bar Khorog, there used to be, used to be Uped there, mm-hmm. there used to be a Plebzal, there's going to be a Porshnev. Mm-hmm. All these has had their own leaders mm. you know that some of them joined the united tajik opposition they were along that a military group of opposition mm. doing a lot of logistical f- for united tajik mm. mainly this was just because of the badakhshan province and mm. logistical support they provided during the civil war the united tajik opposition was able to succeed and get close to mm. tajikistan mm. there were a lot of wounded soldiers mm. that they came in with a lot of food mm. the badakhshan was supporting mm. them a lot. So mm. I was there. I was a student that time. I was witnessing how people cared about those militaries and freedom fighters that mm. they mm. were actually uh, mm. played there. But mm. over mm. the years, all those uh, leaders mm. and uh, commanders were eliminated. So like, you know, in, in Porshnev, there was a Vodish. So he was very influential. So he passed away. And then his brother, Yodgor, he's also kind of not that mm. active. So Portion of area kind of went down. Mm-hmm. Then there is the Khlebzao. The Khlebzao showed a lot of resistance mm-hmm. until 2012, mm-hmm. until you know, the 2012 situation mm-hmm. happened. So Khlebzao was kind of also put, put down. Mm-hmm. And then we have Imam Nazar, Imam Nazarov, who is from UPD district. Mm-hmm. So Imam Nazar was a disabled person. He's a former you know, judo guy, and he got shot during the one of the events even at that time. So he was disabled. Mm-hmm. So they even these disabled people mm. at his home when he kind of you know put up his his guns and start mm. negotiating mm-hmm. so and we just have only one person mm. who is being a standoff Mamad mm. Bukhir, Mamad Bukhir, mm. who was relatively you mm. know very calm and he worked for mm. bodyguards mm. very nice I, I met him myself personally mm. very charismatic so mm. and that he was only him by himself it's not only him there is even if let's say hypothetically even if they eliminate Mamad Bukhir, that's not gonna change anything mm. There's going to be more frustration, and it's, that's why my prediction is going to be a long-term contact. Mm. I guess it was a drop of word, maybe. So you, you mentioned some of them to be freedom fighters. So let's, for the sake of this conversation, let's uh, call them opposition uh, groups there. But uh, also, I mean, we are talking about Khuruk here, right? We are no, also... No, 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 I have to mention, these mm. are their freedom because they're independent. They're not opposition. They, mm. they were not in opposition. These people mm. are from United Tajik opposition. They called them, but they were fighting for freedom of Tajikistan, for independence. 
independence. Mm. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, so in that context, they're not in opposition. They, mm. they literally we lost thousands of thousands of people, our mm. relatives in those fights. Mm-hmm. I call, we will call them as a freedom fighters. Okay, okay. Good to put that in context. Now we are talking about Khuruk. We are talking about Bar Khuruk. And we are also talking about Rushan. Maybe, Salim Jan, this is a question for you. Uh, when we compare this latest round of anti-government uh, protests or resistance, whatever we call that, are we seeing this has expanded this time? Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, of course. You know, at the beginning, yeah, Bakhtiar is giving very good uh, background mm. of the situation mm. that we have now today. Mm. Badakhshan was a last stronghold of opposition and and one of the best place of opposition during the civil war. Mm. And after the peace agreement in 1997, uh, Rahman's government succeeded in eliminating all the uh, leaders mm. who remained from the past mm. in many regions. Mm. But Badakhshan remained as a, it, it was not, let's say, oppositional play, but, but still, mm. it was the place what was not destroyed morally or I don't know. Mm. But uh, anyway, so there was a lot of leaders, different type mm. of leaders, mm. of mm. course. Some of them were engaged, involved in some criminal activities, mm. others purely making uh, social service, mm. others were uh, helping uh, religious mm. uh, communities. And so on and one by one they were eliminated from mm-hmm. the scene mm-hmm. and uh, Mohammad Bokhir Mohammad Bokhir probably is the last one mm-hmm. from this list let's mm-hmm. say and all the time everything uh, was about him mm-hmm. so at the beginning let's say when when it started in 2012 mm-hmm. or a bit earlier it was just uh, about 30 or 50 persons now the government had been doing everything to make all the others stay the same line with Mamad Bukhir, Mamad Bukhirov. And it's not only in Khuruk, it's in Roshkala when Gulbuddin Ziobekov was killed uh, during the arrest and, and the government it was not able to, to investigate it and to, to punish those who killed him without any uh, cause. Yeah, and it's expanding for sure because now we have Rushon also. Uh, you know, those leaders, uh, as usual, as all the other leaders, will have some supporters mm. and we have those who, who, who dislike them, mm. saying because of them we have troubles. Mm. But now a lot of people are understanding that they should unite with uh, those mm. people, with mm. those leaders, and support them mm. because now we are witnessing hashtag Pravdesila. Mm. It means that the power is in the truth. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, for sure it's expanding. Mm. And also the situation is making unhappy a lot of people yeah. in other regions, mm. in, in the north, in, in the south, among the Tajik migrants in Russia and in many places. And this sentiment based not only in supporting some informal leader in Badakhshan, mm. but mostly on uh, economic and social problem yeah. that people are facing now. Mm. You know, mm. the prices are going up every yeah. day. Mm. The remittances from Russia is uh, reducing due to the Western sanctions against Russia. So uh, a lot of problems and, and no new jobs, no employment 
And so, of course, uh, mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. are starting to understand that the, this government, mm-hmm. when one man is ruling for 30 years mm-hmm. and their lives are not changing, mm-hmm. so, of course, this type of protest potential will grow. Yeah. So just to bring this back into the latest events, you know, it was nicely put, Salim John, the, the original scope of uh, resistance is changing and then uh, actors are expanding and then it is intensifying. The bottom line is what all this shows is like we are in a dangerous path. So what comes next? What are the likely scenarios in the ongoing reaction by the authorities tell us in terms of uh, future direction of things going forward from here. So was it uh, avoidable and is the future tensions preventable? What needs to happen to return to uh, normalcy? So let's continue the conversation talking about this and many other questions very shortly. First, let me recap the debate that today on the Majlis podcast. I'm joined by Bakhtiyor Safarov, the director of Central Asia Consulting, Salim Janayubov, the director of Radio Free Liberties Tajik Service, locally known as Rodeo Azadi, and Bruce Panier, the author of Radio Free Liberties Central Asia in Focus newsletter. I'm Mohammed Tahir, host of the Majlis podcast and Radio Free Liberties media manager here in Washington, D.C., and we are discussing the ongoing tension in Tajikistan's Gorno Badakhshan region. So, colleagues, we have spent lots of time discussing the ongoing tension in the region, obviously a very important one, but that also means that we need to wrap up the conversation very soon. With this, uh, I guess my next one or two questions are very simple, based on what we have seen so far, and especially in the latest tension, uh, where we see the direction of events going from here. Bruce, let me start with you. You know, sadly, what we're looking at is kind of a repeat of what's going on. Salim John already mentioned that today there seems to be quiet, relatively quiet, you know, and that's what we've had, like these intense but very short periods of violence, mm. um, usually localized in this, but, mm. but you know, they, they kind of go for a couple of days and mm. then, then uh, they start negotiating and they figure out some way to keep a, a very temporary and fragile truce mm. going on in the area. You know, we, Bakhtiar and I were discussing this earlier on a different thing, and I, I still stick with the, there's a lot of Western governments and organizations mm. now that are, are leaning on the Tajik government to wrap this, you know, stop this. They're calling mm. for a ceasefire, they're calling on everyone mm-hmm. to pull back and everything. Clearly, Tajikistan will have Russian support, and, they, and in the past when these things have happened, they've actually had mm. Chinese support mm-hmm. also for, for what they term a security yeah. operation. And you were right to mention that Tajik authorities exaggerate what's going on so badly hmm. in the past uh, yeah. that we were never really sure what's going on for a while. The only thing we are sure of is that the version that the Tajik government's providing is is not the truth and, and usually not even close to being hmm. the truth. But because Russia's bogged down in, hmm. in Ukraine, it isn't going to be able to help too much, even with moral support for Tajikistan. And the Western governments looking forward into the future are the hmm. only ones that are going to provide financial support, except for maybe the Chinese hmm. and Tajikistan's really in debt to them. So the Western government have a lot more influence at this particular moment. And if they keep calling for the ceasefire, the Tajik government's going to have to do something because they're going to be begging these people for money down the road. So they're going to have to do something to cooperate a little bit with, with the embassies and, yeah. and you know, European Union and stuff, and they're, which is to negotiate. But unfortunately, that solves the problem 
today. But, but you know, long term, it doesn't solve anything at all. But it looks um, like it, you know you are, you are saying that European ambassadors. I have seen their statements as well. Yeah, they are calling for negotiations and things like that. But the, the way Tajik authorities are responding to the realities on the ground today, like with house to house searches, I mean, they are not in the negotiation mode. And also, um, you know, Twitter is not a good place to go for sourcing out informations about uh, this kind of situation these days. But you know, there was also a reference to the either interior minister or deputy interior minister with you know, the way he was reacting like you know we have to you know tackle this with a heavy hand like you know referencing to back to 20 years ago or something i mean it just none of those comments none of those actions looks like they are in the mode of negotiation so in that context too i was just looking into i mean really wh- where they are trying to take this conversation after this stage well you know i mean it's a, I, at least from my in my opinion mm. it's a no win for the tajik government this is a remote area with people scattered all the, all around and mm. it's hard to get up there how are they ever they've never been able to exert total control mm. over the area Salim John and Bakhtiar both were saying over in the course of 30 years even after the civil war this is one area of the country that's always been it's part of Tajikistan but but it's not really under the control of the government and the best solution they had to the problems was to work out compromises with local leaders and mm. let it go every time the Tajik government tries to extend its control or, or solidify its control over the region this is what happens what's happening right now it doesn't work it's not sustainable they can't keep this up forever logistically it's a nightmare to try to get supplies and troops and everything up there because it's way up in the mountains you can't depend on the weather to bring people in by plane or helicopter all the time so they're going to have to come up with some solution because they can't i think militarily there's no way that they can they can ever lock down the region so tight that they'd be able to say you know it's firmly under control and that's why you know you got to have some compromises in here uh, to do it and and but, uh, let me just add because i know i want to let other people talk too that part of the problem is that the tajik government that uh, well they well they claim this is part of tajikistan they don't really provide many finances or, or much uh, infrastructure work on the region i mean look at where we got one road that goes from dushan bay to harog been independent 30 years yeah. right so so they're saying, we don't want you to listen to the local leaders. We want you to listen to the central government. But the central government doesn't do very much for them mm-hmm. to begin with. So who are you going to listen to? The guys mm-hmm. on the ground mm-hmm. that, that can maybe get you jobs or, or even if they're illegal jobs, get you mm-hmm. money mm-hmm. when the Tajik government doesn't provide any money and doesn't build mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I've said on the program before that a lot mm-hmm. of the trade between China and Dushanbe that, that goes on this road mm-hmm. uh, is exempted from t- duties and tariffs and, and, and fees when it goes through Gornobarakshan because the trucks that are going through are, are going to companies that belong to members of Rahman's family. Mm. So they don't, don't even get any money off that. Mm. So I mean, it's like a horrible situation where the Tajik government wants them to be loyal, but there's nothing mm. to endear themselves to mm. the people and engender any sense of loyalty. They mm. treat them like an outcast region mm. while insisting that mm. part of Tajikistan. You know, before I got into the studio, I was uh, watching some documentaries that, you know, Western tourists, uh, you know, make those kind of documentaries, um, immature ones, uh, reflecting the realities on the ground and around those places. I mean, I've seen some villages without electricity in this era. Um, certainly, there is no investment. Of course, there is a huge room for a further investment, obviously. Let me put it in that way. And also, uh, Bruce, you were talking about in terms of the compromise being one solution to go forward, as I'm trying to conclude the conversation here. I'm also thinking like the tension has grown so much. So much blood has been shed. How can this? they can reach to compromise? What will satisfy 
satisfy authorities, what will satisfy local population there so that future similar events are being prevented. Is there any like one or two suggestions, recommendations you have, Bakhtiar, on that? I mean, what can bring kind of lasting peace to this region? At this point, uh, what I think is now the people of Gabal and uh, entire Tajikistan mm. opposition mm. is going to go into counteroffensive. What I mean is for the 30 years, the people were trying to negotiate and come up with a solution. Mm. So it didn't work. Mm. And now I think what's going to happen is that there is a group of uh, opposition leaders who are in Europe. They, they form a group called National Alliance of Tajikistan. There are a number of parties. So now what I think that uh, most of the people from Badakhshan are going to, to join this movement. So it's very it's going to be very strong politically. I think over the years, um, it's not going to be immediate, but uh, they're going to go into counteroffensive. How should, in, uh, we, how should we imagine that counteroffensive, uh, Bakhtiar? Most of the conversation and everything was uh, now private. So now mm. they're going to start speaking up. Mm. More people coming on, you know, do more political work. Like mm. as we speak right mm. now, in more matter of you know 24 hours, we have almost 100 to 150 people right now gathering in in White House. So there's going to be more people who had to fly to Europe. Mm. So they're going to be be more active. So I think at this point it was a breaking point, mm. and that now we're going to probably hear more good news mm. for people who are really thrive for independence. Mm. And uh, I think it's time now to go back to our agreements and. Uh, really really obtain the independence and this is what most people now saying so mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. time to go yeah, yeah, very worrying indeed. Salim Jones, uh, as a journalist, we always keep our eyes on indicators uh, to determine what comes next in situations like that. Where your eyes will be, what kind of indicators you will be looking at in terms of what comes next, what might follow after this stage? It's difficult to predict the situation because we have been witnessing the same kind of situation many times, but uh, today, it's, yeah, of course. Basically, it's it's a kind of deadlock, and the, the dilemma is mostly for, for the government. Mm. Why? Because it should regain or uh, ravine or, or attract the trust of people of Badakhshan if it wants to, to keep situation uh, more or less under control but winning the trust of the people in this situation and with this background and with this history will be not easy because the government actually has no uh, record of being trustful or having open conversation with the citizens first of all uh, to to complete the investigation mm. of Kulbini's mm. Yobekov's mm. uh, killing and punish the, those who killed him, uh, him and then to think about how to give more autonomy to, to this mm. autonomous region because the mm. autonomy for, for production is is mostly nominal, although the Dushanbe accusing the people of Badakhshan are living on subsidies from the center. On the other hand, mo- most of the profits mm. that the government mm. is making, uh, having the, the only road uh, for the China to mm. bring its product, its uh, Tajik market, mm. it's it's really, really, really very complicated for the Tajik government to, to resolve this this. Uh, issue this problem however it could be uh, two kind of scenarios mm-hmm. first uh, maybe since the government is used 
to rely on on the power and on a huge power and uh, to to resolve uh, problems uh, yeah. by power maybe they will arrest uh, Mahmoud Bukhir and others uh, or negotiate with them and he will be surrendered and so on and then to keep the same kind of situation for next 10 or more years However, we do not, we shouldn't uh, forget that uh, Ramon is becoming older and he has a plan of the power transfer. He wanted to make his son uh, Mm -hmm. the head of, or or maybe daughter, the head of the country, Mm. the the ruler of the country. Mm. So it will be difficult for him having uh, this type of. Pamir going uh, ahead with his plan mm. and that's why I am leaning to the to the first uh, uh, scenario about the winning trust of mm. the people we don't know how they will do it but it's necessary for for Ramon and it's a question of of to be or not to be in charge mm. of the country and um, and having good future mm. in, in one word uh, the situation is uh, very complicated and difficult to predict uh, the future it is very unpredictable obviously but we are also out of time but there are m- many many more questions that are coming to my mind i mean yeah obviously one indicator is that you know about the possible transition of power in Tajikistan either that happens from father to son or daughter I mean what kind of implication that is going to have to many things including the situation in Gurno production obviously uh, we will keep our eyes open to that and uh, I don't like to open up any of the conversation but after all these bloodshed you know growing tension intensity of that size and scope of that I mean, again, one wonders, I mean, whether it's too late to build the type of trust, Salim John, you were talking about. Obviously, the regional dynamics are also changing. As earlier Bruce said, you know, Russia is uh, occupied in Ukraine and developments in Afghanistan is not any promising going forward. I mean, the tension around the bordering area is intensifying. There is a lot uh, to look at and keep our eyes on. So we will keep our eyes on and we will be back into this conversation, hopefully talk talking about something better, something positive when we come back to it. So today we have to unfortunately conclude the conversation here. So thank you very much, Bakhtiyar Safarov, the director of Central Asia Consulting. Also big thanks to Salim John Ayubov, the director of Ready for Pedal Liberties Tajik Service and Bruce Panier, the author of Ready for Pedal Liberties Central Asia In Focus newsletter. Also, I just want to remind that Bruce is also following uh, these and all the other events in Central Asia in his weekly newsletter, uh, Central Asia in focus. For more updates, I invite you to subscribe to it and spread the word about it so that it reaches to maximum number of people. So with this, this is from me, Mohammed Tahir, Ready for Paid Liberties Media Manager and host of the Majlis podcast here in Washington, D.C. Until next week. Bye bye.